Welcome to City Chapel this morning. My name is Dale Callahan. And as you can see from the last time you saw me in the pulpit, I am much more handsome. My beard has filled out. Just kidding. Dale was actually scheduled to preach this morning. And uh, he contacted me with plenty of time to let me know that if I would release him from the duty, he would appreciate it. And so my name is Shane, and I'm one of the elders here at City Chapel. And Dale gave me a lot more time to come up to the pulpit. See, I'm a substitute. This isn't my time. This is Dale's time. And that really wasn't Joel's time. He got a phone call from Matt that Steph was sick, and he stepped in for us. And so thank you, Joel, for serving us with your gifts. Um, I would have used that moment when that child was coughing very, you know, timely to be like, Child, I'm trying to lead us in worship. Could you just like dial that down a bit, please? Thank you. Let's start that song again. Well, I invite you to turn with me to First Peter as we are going through this, this letter. This letter from the Apostle Peter who, who has been part of planting churches through Asia Minor. And he's writing to the churches of Asia Minor as, as a shepherd, as as an elder, as a pastor, with apostolic authority, that they might be encouraged and strengthened in their time of transitioning from whatever they worshipped before. Because guess what? Everyone on this planet worships something. We would be home with the Lord doing our thing in perfect worship if it wasn't for the fact that false worship exists and it always has existed since the fall and it's going to continue to exist until the Lord says, enough, and we're done our part of witnessing against false worship and calling people to the true Lord, the true King, and to worship Him. And we, we grow in that understanding. We grow in that truth. We, we start as infants in Christ, and we mature in what it means to worship the God, the living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we grow as a community. And so Peter is writing this. And I want to remind you, we have some new faces here. Just a little bit of review. We're going to back up just a bit. Last week I preached from verse 18. And just to give you the context and to the place of, as we go into wrapping up chapter 2, to help you in your mindset. Peter is writing to slaves. Real slaves, for whatever reason, they find themselves under a master. And that master might be good, that master might be wicked. But Peter is writing as a pastor, as a shepherd, to encourage those who believe in Christ that even though they receive beatings unjustly for the sake of the gospel and their witness, to suffer as a slave, in such a way that their true master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is glorified. And that's a hard text to preach through. But if you think of it in this framework, none of us find ourselves in the situation like Peter is addressing here in this, these several verses. 
None of us find ourselves in the situation where we are actually a slave in bondage. We don't have any kind of freedom. We are at the beck and call of our master. And even if we do good to our master and, and, and do everything that he requires, not because he's our earthly master, but because we want to please our heavenly master, the Lord Jesus Christ, even if we do everything good, we're still receiving beatings. So if we can take that situation the difficulty of that truth that Pastor Peter is is writing to, isn't there just endless applications for us in our country, like our list of first world problems? Isn't there? And that's why when we, we wrapped up last week, I kind of was like, I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to I want you to read Luke. And I want you to identify how Jesus, even though he came in the flesh, he was fully God and fully man, but yet we see in Luke that he was dependent upon who? To accomplish the Father's will, the Holy Spirit. And if our our Lord and our Master, who came to be a model for us, of what it looks to desire and pursue the will of the Father and accomplish it, demonstrates to us through the Gospels, through his life, how dependent he was upon the Holy Spirit to be the one who led him, the one who comforted him, the one who empowered him. How are we going to suffer as good bond slaves to our master if we don't likewise find great value in pursuing the work of the Holy Spirit in accomplishing the things that we desire regarding holiness. Not just the simplicity of morality, but holiness. Not just our neighbors looking at you and being like, that guy is so trustworthy. That guy is like the best humanist, moralist I've ever met in my life. He puts Christians to shame. But something in us that actually desires to satisfy our master, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in such a way that we want to pursue holiness. Right? It's not about the moral code. It's about the likeness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, and the pursuit of that. I also gave you homework regarding reading the book of Philemon. Because I wanted you to identify with a slave, Onesimus. I wanted you to hear his story. And there's things there, there's questions there. We don't actually know all the details. We don't know all the circumstances. But pretty much there's one letter written by Paul to his brother, Philemus, that is basically saying in in a nutshell... I'm Paul, I have authority over you, I I could command you things, I could tell you what to do, but I'm coming, I'm pleading with you out of brotherly love that you might do these things regarding this individual who has come to Christ, who has become a disciple of Christ, who's been a blessing to me. I want to return him to you because he was your slave, like a real slave, and he he ran away, and, and now he's willing to be returned to you, but he's useful for me, so I want to return him to you just out of principle because he's your slave. But remember, you owe me your life 
in the gospel. And I don't want to command you, but I want to plead with you out of brotherly love that you would do what's right to him. And if he owes you anything, if he's indebted to you for anything, please charge it to my account. Charge it to my account because he has become a great servant for me, a great aid to my ministry. So here we have this tension of Peter writing to real slaves who, you know, the Lord's Day comes and they don't have the freedom to go and gather with the church, their brothers and sisters, and be encouraged the first day of the week. No, you will be doing what you're just supposed to do as a slave. To a slave who's run away. And now Paul is saying, well, for the sake of time, if you didn't do your homework, read that book and be encouraged and and think about what that means for us as we grow in our maturity as disciples of Christ who desire to worship the living God. So continuing, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have a pew Bible, we'll be on page 1015. The focus of our text this morning is verses 22 to the end, verse 25. And... We go to those verses in light of everything I just shared with you from verse 18 down. Hear now the reading of God's word. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. In himself, he himself bore our sins, and in his body, on the, our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May the Lord add his own blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Father, we, we turn to you this morning asking that you would give us a greater understanding of, of what it means to know that you are the rock of ages. That the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but you have provided for us a cleft a place where we can bury ourselves into and find rest. I pray as we think about everything that was accomplished at the cross in order that we might be purchased, that you might redeem us as your slaves from a wicked master, from Satan, from the bondage of sin and death, that your word would minister to us and that we would grow in these truths that we would find ourselves calling out to you to give us more, to bring us farther, to feel you closer. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would minister to us through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes you write stuff when you're doing your sermon, and then you think, whoa, wait, should I really start off with that? 
Hmm. Well, well, sweet Lord Jesus, sweet baby Jesus, there's no baby in there, and there's no cross with a man on it here. Where is he? He's grown up. He lived a perfect life, perfect life of obedience, fulfilling the Father's will regarding all righteousness according to the law, that he might be qualified to be not only our high priest, but also a living sacrifice. And so that sweet baby Jesus is no longer in a manger. He's no longer to be found in a tomb, but he is our living Savior who has given us resurrection hope. And as I said today, once again, we're addressing suffering and authority, masters, slaves, and relationship to the gospel and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us as our master, as the one who has purchased us of, as slaves from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of light. As a master who is so good to us, we respond by saying, I don't want any other master. I want you to be the master for all my days. I want to proclaim your goodness and, and speak of your faithfulness as long as I'm on this earth and as long as I have breath in my lungs. I want others to know how awesome you are, Lord, and how glorious of a master you've been. In light of that, I, I love the words master and slave. Now, there's a whole lot of things in our culture That'd be like, no, no, those are, those, are, those, those, are, those are words that should be removed from history. And I'm like, you, you, you can never remove those words from history because the gospel is so foundational to the understanding of those two words. That in Adam's sin, as our representative, he represented us in the garden and that the cause and the effects of his sin made us slaves to a horrible master and introduced us to sin and death. I love reflecting on the fact that my big brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, was sent by my father who, who loves me. As we read that God demonstrates his love towards us as a father, well, yet we were still sinners. He sent Christ to die on a cross. He, he sent our big brother to be found obedient and to die on a cross. And our big brother, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was anointed Christ, the anointed one. And he was found faithful concerning that promise that we see in Genesis chapter 3.15, that his heel will crush the serpent's head. His heel will be bruised, but his heel will crush the serpent's head. That is telling us that the serpent is our master. But the Lord has promised one that will come and crush that master and save us from him. And so we're no longer, if we turn to Christ and trust in him and declare him as Lord and king and master, made slaves to sin and death. I love that the same Holy Spirit that caused the virgin to be found with child, the same Holy Spirit that, that led Christ to the wilderness, 
to be tempted. The same Holy Spirit that ministered to him and directed him and empowered him to fulfill the Father's will. The same Holy Spirit that in the garden was at work as he suffered and carried his cross was at work. The same Holy Spirit that by grace he was able to hold his mouth still in front of his accusers. When they pulled out his beard, when he gave his last breath and cried out, it is finished and died. That same Holy Spirit that three days later rose him from the grave is alive and active in the sons and daughters of God. That same Holy Spirit. Anyone who's born again by the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is a son and daughter of the Father. On this journey to become more and more and more like Christ. Did you celebrate Christmas with that reality in mind this week? Or did other things that happened in the last three weeks cause a great area of distraction in your heart? Or did you find yourself just faithful and able to, to take the little ones, the children that are under our care and and the beauty of the season, and the opportunity for the gospel during this season, and maximize it for the, the, declare, the declaring of the gospel. I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up, but I'm going to tell you and confess to you that every single Christmas, that's one of the hardest things for me, is this great opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to also wrestle with the distractions that are traded by the opportunity. I found myself reflecting on baby Jesus. <laughs> and I can't help it. I, you know, I love movies, and every time I, I think of baby Jesus, I think of people who pray to baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus, do this for our family. It's an awful prayer. Don't pray like that. Call upon the Lord. Call upon the adult Jesus. Call upon the resurrected Jesus. Don't call upon sweet baby Jesus. That won't get you far. I find myself reflecting on baby Jesus being born in a manger, a stable, along with animals. These animals that, you know, Jesus finds himself with I don't know, donkeys, lambs, all kinds of things. You guys, how many of you in your home have like the manger scene, you know, kind of, it's like this, it's a, you know, and put your hands up, children. You have that in your home? Go ahead. Yes, yeah, 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 no, okay. Good. Some of you are scared. Is Pastor Shane going to call me up there if I put my hand up? No, but we have this, you know, I have those. How many of you have like ones that have been passed down from your great-grandparents to your grandparents? It's in the family, it's there. And you have it, and there's all the animals, and I don't know, you know, there's, there's animals. Let's say there's donkeys, and there's lambs, and there's sheep, and maybe there's a dog, you know, a family dog, I don't know. But there's animals. 
maybe as Joseph and Mary traveled, they had their own animals that they brought with them. Like, there's not just one donkey and Mary on it and Joseph. Like, you know, you got to bring something to eat. What? Yeah. So think about it. But these animals that are in the manger are there. And these animals are someone's master. These animals in the manger are there for a purpose. And Jesus is among these animals that are also there for a purpose. And that these animals are slaves to the one who has dominion over them. And maybe some of these animals, like we sing songs, like we sing songs about, you know, um, you get this picture in your head, like, help me out here, musicians, but like the ox and something kept in. No, time. Time to what? The praises of the angels singing, right? Like the ox is like, this is good. This is good. That's our creator. That's our creator. This is good. And the oxen stuff are rejoicing, and they're like, I am so glad that we just have to plow the fields. As they look over to the sheep and like, you're dinner tomorrow night. <laughs> right? And then here's the reality of it. You think, of the, like, what's Jesus? Jesus is going to become a living sacrifice. And he is amongst animals who have a master and a slave. And some of those animals, their responsibility, because we have dominion over them, we're slaves. Masters to them are going to have the responsibility of just working or, 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 or supplying food for the family. And some of those animals are possibly sacrifices. That the whole purpose of this one being raised and this one being put aside and fattened and looked after, it's like, look at how beautiful this lamb is. is because the father might have the responsibility to give his best lamb to be offered at the temple. Does it change the manger scene for you a little bit? I just wrecked it for you, like, for kids forever now. You're a worker, you're a pet, your food, and your sacrifice. Don't worry, so is Jesus. It's all good. It's all good, isn't it? But isn't it challenging? The best thing I saw this year visiting a friend is they had the manger scene set up over here, like by the tree, and the wise men were over on the fireplace mantle. Like they still had two years before they'd get over there. It was awesome. I'm like, that's awesome. Well, as I reflect upon these things, I find myself writing sermons, and I want to include you in the journey. And so Jesus laid to rest among the animals. The Father in his providence. Think about this. He could have placed baby Jesus in the best palace in the world. Baby Jesus could have been surrounded by the strongest army ever known to men. But he wasn't. He was placed alongside animals who were also slaves. Animals that also had a purpose. Animals that also had a destiny. And some of these animals would find ways to serve the family who owned them well. But I can't help but think that among these animals is a spotless, perfect lamb 
of God who will become an example, our example, for what it means to suffer in the gospel in order that the Father might be glorified by the way that we live our life. That's what this verse tells us. So if we even go back, verses 18 to 21 encourages us to suffer in reverent fear of God, that in our suffering we should do what is commendable before God, that we should suffer well, even as slaves. I was encouraged by how many of you men in the congregation came alongside me and said, you know, work's been hard. There's been a few times where I wanted to punch my boss in the throat. Honestly. But praise the Lord. Children, praise the Lord, fathers, that we have the Holy Spirit at work in us. And we are reminded that we don't get to punch people in the throat. We're reminded that we're to to be found faithful, to forgive, to not look at our boss as the ultimate authority in our life and, and do the things that we are called to do and that we should do because it gives us a paycheck, but we should serve that boss as our master, reflecting on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is truly the one that we're doing this work for. We're doing this work in such a way that he might receive the glory, not this earthly boss. And then I was encouraged by others who came to me who are in the place of not being the slave, but are the boss. And expressing places of encouragement that, you know, I need to be a boss and handle myself in such a way that there's a greater boss than me. And I need to honor those who he has put under my authority, who he has allowed me to be the one who assigns them their duties, gives them their responsibilities with a fair wage. And had someone else come alongside me and say, you know what, I really, I'm a boss, but I really don't have a boss. And, and when I think about it, actually, the, the type of boss that I am, I'm, I'm not even really a boss, but I'm a servant, I'm a slave to those who call upon me to do work for them. They're my boss. And so I should serve them well as a servant because they're my boss. To this you were called, to be found faithful as a servant, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately is your boss. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, by his wounds, you have been healed. And so Peter is encouraging us. Jesus is the one whose image and likeness we're to be transformed into. His life is our example. Are we ever going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ? I read the end of the book. 
until he comes back, we're not. Until he transforms us into glorification, we are going to be fighting as slaves on this planet, declaring how good and faithful our Lord is. He's our example. The word he uses there, example, was originally used as a template. and We're being encouraged really to, to trace the template. Jesus Christ, you think of that word? Jesus Christ, or just Christ. We're being encouraged in this letter to reproduce carefully the life of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I went to school. Some of you might doubt that, but I did. I went to school. And um, when I was at school, I was of the generation, thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness, that you still got the strap from the principal with a piece of hard leather. Hallelujah. I am part of the generation that you actually got picked up by your ear. Hallelujah. I was part of the generation where they actually failed you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Could we return to those days? I was part of the generation where I didn't have to go on to the next grade until I could figure this stuff out. Shane, what are you doing? I asked you to write your name on your page. I did. That's not your name, Shane. Yeah, that's my name. That's not your name, Shane. Write your name. What do you mean? Your S is backwards and your E is backwards. Why do you insist on bookending your name with backwards letters? Well, at that time, why isn't anybody being like, I think Shane's dyslexic. Let's keep him back another year. Okay? Where's my... Um... I threw it. Christ. I know where it is now. As our template. Do you guys remember this? One. Two. You start there and you end there. Any of you kids remember this? None of you kids remember seeing stuff like this? Like, okay, let me give you another example, okay? One. There's a hint. You make your A like this. Then what? Anyone? Can you help me? What number goes up here? You're going to do great two again. Na, 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 na. Two. And you start here. Here's some help. And you go down there. And you have an A. The point in this 
is that Christ is our example in suffering. He's the one who is our master. We pursue his righteousness. And we're being encouraged to know how to write. His name. We're being encouraged to use his life as a template. And if we think that we can just be disciples of Christ and write his name the way I wrote my name, like the C backwards and the R backwards, I'm going to tell you, Christ might be your master, but that might demonstrate some immaturity regarding doctrine and truth and, and growth. Right? Could you imagine if, you, if we actually saw this? Like, people come up to you like, I'm a Christian. Have you ever seen those movies like there's like timers above their head and stuff like that? You know, it's like they're going to die when the time runs out. And then you could actually see people, and they come up to you like, hi, my name is Billy, and I'm like you, also a Christian. And you look above his head, and Christ is spelt with a backward C, an upside down R, the T isn't even crossed, and you're like, you're a different kind of Christian than I am. The point is, is, it's not about the spelling, it's about actually knowing who Christ is actually knowing doctrinally and studying and wrestling in to who Jesus Christ is. And that when someone asks you about Jesus, you know how to make a proper C, a proper H, a proper R, an I. You know how to do these things in such a way that they're like, that is the living Christ. That is the one we want to place our hope in. He is the original. I'm telling you in a very gentle way that there's others who don't spell Christ right. They don't have a Christ who saves. They have, they have a false Christ. And our lives are to trace the details of his character according to the word, the written word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We learn how to not just write his name with all the instructions given to us, but we also know how to worship him, how to call upon him, to how we understand what he accomplished for us. And so we grow so that those doing life around us, they see some echo, some light, however quiet it may be or however dim it might be of our master himself. And so Peter is encouraging these slaves to, I know it feels like you've been bent and beaten so hard by your master that you're about to break. But call upon Christ. I know it feels like the wax is building up and, and, and it's not burning properly and your wick is curling and it's too close to the wax and you're not getting the flame that you desire, but, but lean into Christ. And as we look at these last verses in chapter 2, Peter seems to have been spending some time reading Isaiah. My guess is he's probably memorized Isaiah. 
And then the Holy Spirit is adding to him revelation concerning what the prophet Isaiah has written down. And so he finds himself reflecting and meditating on Isaiah 53 because that's where these words are being pulled from, the suffering Savior. It's one of the four great songs of the suffering Savior. Poems or songs that have been written that are identified in the book of Isaiah. Do you ever stop and think, how did the Holy Spirit give these words to Isaiah? Did he hear them? Isaiah write these things down? Was it a vision? Did he have a vision? We know that Isaiah was one who had visions. But no one paints a better portrait than Isaiah of the Christ who suffered silently for our sins. No one. Isaiah does such an amazing job of revealing to us a slave, an obedient servant who came under the master of sin, death, and Satan in order that we might be delivered from those masters, sin, death, and Satan. But let's not forget how this song, this poem back, like he's pulling from 43, but the other poems, the other chapters that address the suffering servant begin with, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. Why is that important? Because if you, like Jesus, your example, Peter's saying, are going to suffer as a slave, you are going to need a father who says, this is my son, this is my daughter, look at them. And then he puts his spirit upon us, and we grow, and we find ourselves strengthened. Because we're disciples of Christ, bond slaves of Christ. Friends, are you tired of enduring the beatings of the world? Are you, are you tired of the same sin so easily ensnaring you? Are you tired of finding yourself suffering in hard situations? Our Jesus in this text is the suffering servant, the slave, who becomes our example. And in Isaiah 42, he offers an image of those who are too weak to raise their heads and fill the room with the light of the gospel. Do you ever feel like your life, your last week, you have an opportunity to share the gospel. You're like, man, I've lost my, I've lost my saltiness. My light is so dim, I, I don't even know if I can... No, no, I'm not going to share. How many of you have felt like a flame and, and a wick that's bent and, and it's barely, it's just starts, the smoke's getting heavy because there's not much flame and the slightest breeze will extinguish you. And you wrestle, do I really know Christ? Is, is he really my savior? Why am, I, why am I like this? Why is this just like, why do I feel like I'm ready to go out? And the slightest trial, the, the next thing, the hardest thing that comes around the corner is just going to knock me out. I want to encourage you that your big brother Jesus, who has the responsibility and the duty given to him by your father, will not by any means lose one of us. He has the responsibility, the duty to present each and every one of us before the Father. 
that none of us will be lost. He will not let the flame go out. He will not let you break. Jesus calls to the weak heart and small in faith, wrestling with, do I even know the gospel? Why am I not faithful in these areas of my life? To begin to understand what it means to rest in Him. To hide yourself in Him. To take on His yoke. Inviting us to trust in what He has promised. Here's the biggest mistake you can make. I suck. I did it again. Another week, just like the week before, just like the week before that week, just like the month before that month, I'm in this rut. What am I doing? I gotta make changes. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta. That is not resting in Jesus. That is not taking on his yoke. That's you trying to be a moralist. Us resting and trusting in Jesus is coming to the place of saying, I, I, I can't do this. I don't have the strength. I can't overcome this. Lord, would you send the Holy Spirit to minister to me, to comfort me, to get me through this? May I learn from your example as a suffering servant, dependent upon the work of the Spirit. Lord, you promised that a bruised reed will be strengthened, that a dimly burning wick, that it will be set aflame by you. Lord, I can't do these things. I can't carry this burden. I can't be like you without the Holy Spirit. I will go out. I will break. You see, he died not just for your forgiveness, but for your holiness. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. It's not, it's not just the gospel who, it's not the gospel that saves you, it doesn't just end there. It's the gospel that carries you through and maintains you and brings life to you. It's not just our sanctification that we're in, that we need, but it's remembering that we have been justified. We are found in Christ. He is our master. And this process of suffering and being sanctified, it hurts. It's painful. But do we trust that the Lord is faithful and he's bringing into our lives exactly what we need to become good stewards of the gifts that he's given us, to become, to become good stewards of the gospel, to be found faithful in what he's calling us to? Because if we just want to be identified as moral people who seem to have it all together, that people look at us and like, well, that guy has it all together. Well, that lady, how does she do it? They must read the secrets of successful people, the seven secrets, a lot of successful people. They must like just be diving into leadership books. How do they do it? How do they do it? Our suffering causes us to die to ourselves. Our suffering causes us to say, I don't have what it takes to make it through this. Our suffering causes us to cry out to a Savior who is ready and able to carry us. 
Our suffering reminds us that we need to die to our sins and to live for righteousness. Because this text tells us, for to this you have been called. To this you have been called. And so I ask you again, how do we suffer well for Christ? For me, in my journey, it's been a, a painful journey of learning in the midst of suffering, in the midst of victories, in the midst of everything that the day brings, in the midst of it, to know what it means to call upon the Holy Spirit, to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit to acknowledge that this is not my strength that has gotten me through this, that it's not going to be my strength that's going to bring me through tomorrow, but I am fully and completely dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. And we find ourselves in that, serving with a heart that identifies well as a bond slave, living for the words, wanting and longing to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant from our master, from our father, from the Holy Spirit, and not for the appreciation, the approval of men. What I've been called to, what I desire to do, what you've been called to, what you desire to do, it's not so that we get the approval of one another or the encouragement from one another. It's that we might have the praise of our Father, that He might delight in us because of what He has done in us. Learn to live in light of the cross, crying out to the Father to give you what the Savior's blood purchased for you. How do you suffer well for Christ? By crying out to the Father to give you what your Savior has purchased for you. That sounds kind of maybe crazy because that can be taken in a context that's like, Father, I need a million bucks right now. Lord, Jesus died on the cross so that I could have a million bucks. And so I'm just calling upon you, right? So you need to find this balance between what between what Jesus says and what his brother James says. Jesus says you have not because you ask not, right? And if you ask and you ask with persistence, what father, what, what father is not going to give to his child what he needs? If, if your fathers on earth are wicked and they know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your father in heaven give to you what you need? He's not going to give you a stone when you've asked for bread. Okay, now let's add to that. For the sake of the gospel, for the sake of living a holy life, for the sake of being on mission and part of the church and part of biblical community as an obedient bond servant to Jesus, Father, give me what I need to be these things. Because James, on the other hand, he's like, yeah, you ask and you receive not because your motives suck. You ask in order that you might receive and, and spend it on yourself and comfort yourself and, and do all these things for yourself. And so there's a balance. There has to be a balance of what it looks like 
to call upon the Lord for the sake of the gospel and, and your, your journey in sanctification and pursuing righteousness, that the Lord would give you everything that you need for the mission he's called you to as a father who loves you. You will not be found without. But then James is like, yeah, you're not going to get that because of your motive. I'll leave that with you to unpack and to wrestle with this week. We'll move on. Verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. There's grace for us as sheep from the overseer and shepherd of our souls. He's the one who will give an account for us to the Father of how he's shepherded us and how he has acted as the overseer of our souls. Isn't that the most beautiful thing to rest in? That I desire to be like Jesus. I want to pursue righteousness. I'm in a battle. I'm at war with my flesh, sin, and the devil. Right? But I long to be like Jesus. And ultimately, he is the overseer and the shepherd of my soul who will give an account to the Father for how he has cared for me. Just meditate this week in John chapter 10 and look at what Jesus has a responsibility to do. He will bear you up. He will bring you home. That's how I would encourage you to suffer well as a bond slave of Christ. That's how I would encourage you to suffer well in no matter what circumstances you find yourself in this coming week, this coming month, the things that have haunted you the last month. He will bear you up. He will bring you home. Let's pray. Father, we turn to you and thank you for the good gifts that you have given us. Lord Jesus, we we call upon you as our prophet, priest, and king, the one who is a faithful sacrifice, the one who was not able to be held down by sin and death and Satan. How glorious is your resurrection. How fantastic is the hope that you have given us. And we know that you have gone to prepare a place for us. So we pray that in our days and our trials and our suffering, that you, Holy Spirit, would cause grace and mercy and peace and joy to be multiplied in our spirits. That our souls would be refreshed. That we would have what it needs to press on for the sake of the gospel and the mission that you've called us to. May you, Lord Jesus, receive the glory. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please stand and we'll respond by singing the doxology together.